Welcome to the Talent Pool Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Kaplan, founder and CEO of Kaplan Partners, a retained executive search and board advisory firm headquartered in Philadelphia. I am delighted today to be talking with my good friend and client, Frank Sorrentino. Frank is the founding chairman and CEO of Connect One Bank, headquartered in Northern New Jersey. Frank launched the bank almost 16 years ago and has grown the institution from nothing to seven and a half billion in assets and a very high level of performance. Welcome, Frank. Good to be here, Alan. So I wanna dive into the talent pool and I wanna talk about technology in banking because you have always been, and I've heard you speak on this many times, thinking about technology as an enabler of serving customers long before most other bankers did. I mean, all banks you know, have a backbone of technology, but you know, you're actually deep in FinTech, you acquired Bowfly, what were you thinking with that acquisition and the future of the industry from a technology perspective? Um, give us a little bit of deep thought on that. So, you know, Bowfly was interesting. I think when I originally walked into uh, one of my executive management meetings and even my board and said, hey, I'm thinking about buying this company called Bowfly, they thought I was buying an aircraft manufacturing company or something. Um, and they generally thought I lost my mind, which is kind of par for the cost. Um, but what I saw, and this was two years ago, what I saw was that, you know, consumer tastes, our client tastes were changing. You know, I've talked often about, you know, a niche being the new local market and Bowfly had this interesting niche. They actually create or provide a service for franchisors and franchisees in the process of that data exchange between the two. They're able to generate a, a loan request out of the franchisee and provide SBA financing through member banks for, the, for their clients. It was something I never even dreamed of. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And I really liked the CEO there. I thought he was quite innovative and he was thinking about the future of how business was going to get done um, in a very, very different way. And so... From my perspective, I saw a bunch of things. I saw one was this could actually turn into a business that you know could be ancillary to what we do. We were at the time thinking about SBA business. We hadn't done it really before that. So that was going to be a help. And we were going to be surrounded by people who thought about the SBA business very differently than most bankers. They had a very fresh view of what this space looked like and how we could enter it. And we also got to bring in a team of individuals who didn't think anything like bankers. I mean, you know, they think about tech first, they thought about experience, you know, with the user experience, they thought about all the buzzwords you hear today. And I said, you know, even if this thing is not totally successful, we're going to learn a lot from just being around these folks. And that's turned out to be true. They run their business very differently than we do. They've had to adapt to us. We've had to adapt to them. And I think it's been a great marriage. We've provided a tremendous amount of support to build out that technology. And in the process of doing that, we've uncovered things that we're now changing here at Connect One Bank because we filled the need over at Bowfly. You know, the whole you know, sort of throw yourself into an uncomfortable place really, I think, helped us a lot here at Connect One and forced us to ask a lot of really hard questions, certainly over the last 18 months, and actually better prepared us for what was to come. And we had no idea at the time we purchased Bowfly that we were going to head into this pandemic, but really established us 
to be on the forefront of what you would have, if, if I could have warned you six months in advance that we were going to have this pandemic and every business was going to close and you were going to have to do everything online and you would create a checklist of things that you would have done in preparation for that, a lot of those lessons got learned there. So it was just a, you know, it was just a really great um, uh, opportunity for us to see the world in a different way. So your board doesn't think you're crazy anymore for that acquisition and focusing so much on technology? No, they still think I'm crazy. They just humor me a lot. There you go. So speaking of your board, um, yeah, as founding chairman, you picked, I think, all the board members. And some of my own experience with boards is that founding board members, substantial shareholders, entrepreneurs are really valuable early on in terms of driving customers, helping set priorities, very engaged in strategy. But as the bank gets bigger, sometimes it's hard to let management manage, to evolve as a board member where you're still highly engaged, but much more strategically, higher level, you're governing. How has your board been able to adapt and evolve? Because you have had some additions and changes to your board, but you know you still have, I think, a number of original board members, as I recall. How's the board navigated the wonderful transition and growth of the bank? So I would start this conversation by saying that my initial, when you say, you know, I was the original chairperson and so therefore I selected the board, I put a few disclaimers around that. So first off, when I had this bright idea to start uh, what became Connect One Bank, I had no intention. I didn't go to anyone and say, hey, I'm going to be chairman and CEO of this company. And so therefore, I really went to folks with an idea. And I said, look, I want to be a part of this. And certainly I want to be on the board. But I was looking for people that would represent different aspects of the business community so that we could come up with a really good business user experience. We were always designed around dealing with small businesses. And so I may have picked two or three of the board members, the original eight, but the other two or three picked others and made suggestions as to who those people should be. And we were very careful not to have, you know, five attorneys on the board or three builders or whatever. And we had we had members of the board that actually raised some eyebrows at the time, you know, the, the executive of a PR firm and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, an engineer, uh, uh, you know, someone from the accounting profession and uh, other folks that just, I, in my opinion, created this well-rounded uh, board of directors, all of which I did not know, didn't know well. Um, I may have known of them, but I wasn't friends with everyone on the board. Would have been true for two or three of those individuals. Sure. So we started off, I believe, in a place. And and by the way, that, that group of individuals decided uh, that I should be chairman because I was sort of running the strategy around this whole venture. I didn't go to anybody and say, this is what I want and this is what we're going to do. I was always of the belief that let's do what's best for this venture and it'll, you know, it'll figure itself out. And then as far as you know, sort of transitioning from then to now, don't forget that in 2014, we went through a, a, an MOE with a company that was twice our size. And so I had to cut back half of my board at that time and accept half the board members of people I didn't know anything about, never met them before. Right. So I found myself immediately in the position of being with 
less than, you know, half the board members that I originally started with and had those. And then we've added a couple of board members since then, either from acquisitions and or just because we wanted additional talents. Just recently, uh, because of the pandemic, we hired, a, we put an MD on the board, you know, who really understands and can help us to think through some of the medical, you know, considerations that and, and the science around that. Um, you know, uh, involving, you know, what happens in the world today and how does this all function and, you know, how is the world going to react in the next pandemic? And so we really thought hard about bringing someone from the medical profession into the bank. And that's what we did. So sticking in the boardroom, you know, the conversations in boards today are very different than two, three years ago, let alone 10, 15 years ago in this industry and so much energy and time focusing on ESG, right? Environmental social governance. Can you talk a little bit about how your board is approaching that big subject, which some directors have said to me, I want to be focused more on strategy. You know, we, we do enough rearview mirror stuff that we have to do as a regulated industry and public company. And now I'm spending a lot of time at ESG. How is the board prioritizing and, and where are they spending most of their energy on that very broad subject of ESG? So, you know, again, I, I, I would look at it in the same way in which I described you know, how we think about the regulatory environment and how we think about growth in general. And I, I don't really think you can separate um, running a good quality business with thinking about all the concepts of ESG. Now, certainly there are things there that different size companies located in different places or whatever just either can't accomplish or don't need to accomplish. But this whole concept of a more well-rounded board, a board that more reflects the clientele that you have, a board that, you know, understands how the business is going to, going to go through the different phases of growth and what types of individuals you need, I think is just an important part of building the business. It's not an old boys club. It's not a place where you want people who all think the same way and who are necessarily supportive of everything we bring into the boardroom. I think it is, in fact, the boardroom is a place where management should be challenged and there should be diversity of thought. There should be uh, people who represent various segments of whether it's the population or your client segments or, you know, whatever it is, if you're making a technology play, do you have somebody, you know, who's focused in the technology space? You know, what, how are you thinking about all of the different changes that are going on in the world today? And what is your workforce going to look like? And when they look at the board, you know, I, I'm reminded all the time, I, you know, I, I had a couple of events here where, you know, most meetings are in our um, corporate headquarters. And I always consider that the board is, you know, it's certainly part of the company. And so when they walk around after a board meeting or whatever, I want them to both be representative of what the company is and feel representative. And I want the staff that interacts with them to also feel that, you know, it's a two-way street there, that these people represent what the company's all about and they accept the folks that are working here as the people who are, are representative of how we're going to deliver those services. It's not like it's, oh my God, that's the board, you know, like there's some special group of people. They're representatives is really what they are. You know, when we think about who our clients are, who we want to serve, you know, the fact that we want to make change, not only in the way, it, not only that we add to the bottom line, that but that we're actually helping society, right? One of the greatest things for me 
even in my builder days, right, when we built something, I would go look at it. And I, you know, after we were done, I would stand out in the street and go, oh, my God, like we built that. Like that's, you know, there's a family going to live there now because of, you know, what we did or we put up a commercial building and there were people working there. I'm like, wow, people are working in this, you know, creating uh, economic benefit because of something that we did. And I feel the same way today, you know, because of the financing that we produce for companies that buy other companies, start companies, build things, uh, manufacture things. Um, it's just a, an incredibly gratifying feeling. But you got to understand what it is and who it is that you're supplying all those services to. And so I think it's really important for boards to think clearly about those issues. And look, the environment's one of them, right? Our social interaction and conscious here at, at Connect One, you know, I mean, I, you look at the demographics here within our company, pretty diverse company. We have a lot of people in, in, in high positions here that sort of run the gamut of, you know, every type. And from a governance perspective, I've always been a pretty, pretty outspoken governance person. We want to do things for the right reasons. And, uh, you know, we want a culture here of people thinking about doing things, not, not necessarily doing the right thing. I think there's a, there's, a, there's a misunderstanding there. It's doing things for the right reasons. You may not do the right thing. You might wind up doing the wrong thing. But if you did it for the right reasons, then it's defensible. And that's what governance is really all about, right? Are you doing things for the right reasons? And, you know, no regulator ever comes in and says, you can't do that. The regulators come in and say, hey, listen, this is what the expectation is relative to what we want you to be thinking about. And if you're thinking about those things, and if you're making decisions based on your thinking about those things, generally, you're going to stay inside the box. But if you're not, if you're not thinking about those things, you're going to run astray and you're going to wind up in trouble. So, Frank, when you were talking about, you know, building homes for people and serving communities and helping customers, I'm smiling inside because you sound just like Jimmy Stewart as George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life, which is my favorite movie, actually. <laughs> right. You know what I'm talking about, right? Of course. And literally, you know, he's sitting in, you know old man Potter's office and he's saying, is it too much to ask them to have a couple of bedrooms and a bath over their head? There's nothing better than sitting in our conference room with a client who's so excited about, you know, a business venture or an acquisition they're going to make or an expansion to their business. And we get to play a part in that. That's, I mean, there's nothing better. You know, we're building America, right? You know, it's, it's, it's mom, you know, apple pie. It's, um, you know, I, I always say, it's not rocket science what we do here, but what we do here is incredibly important for the economic vitality of, of the country. And I believe that if people are successful in their businesses, they'll hire good people, they'll pay good wages, and the whole country does well. And that house gets built and someone buys a car and, you know, neighborhoods thrive because people took risks on other people's, uh, uh, you know, behalf. And I think that's the business we're in. No, there's no question. I mean, if you look at the economic history of, of the country, you know, in many respects, it parallels the growth of the banking industry. And, you know, you're in North Jersey, I'm in Philadelphia. I mean, you have 80 different banks you can do business with. But when you drive, you know, two or three hours west or north from where you are, where I am, you know, maybe there's a branch of a big bank there. There's maybe a little mutual or credit union branch. And maybe one other little bank. And those institutions are really important to that community. 
you know, which has been one of the unintended consequences of what I'll call regulatory overreach, I think, over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. If you lose one or two of those small banks and serving those small markets, where it might be hard for a bigger bank like Connect One to make money, that's a problem. That's a problem for that community. So I, I agree. I think the financial industry is the, the backbone. That being said, not everybody's has partaken in that. And, you know, I think there's a lot more conscientiousness around that today. But I, I really applaud your, your thinking and, and how you feel about that. Just want to go back to the board for one more second. You know, you have been very active and visible in the industry. You're on the board of New Jersey Bankers, on the board of the American Bank Association, bank director. You speak at a lot of conferences. But how have you approached the board from a board education perspective? Because, you know, most of them, maybe none of them actually are bankers, although they've obviously all dealt with banks. You know, and in terms of the regulatory dynamic, the balance sheet construct, the trends in technology, how do you keep the board up to date? Do you encourage them to go to conferences? Do you have a continuing education requirement? Do you bring people in? How do you handle that to make sure they're staying current so they can be a great advisor for you? So I think the I think it starts with the management team uh, being able to properly present information to the board that they need to consider as we start to think about direction, right? And and that's where the question creation of questions begins, right? So we go to manage, we go to board and we say, these are the things that we're going to uh, contemplate. Here's all the pluses and minuses. Here's all the reports. Here's everything you need to know. The backdrop to that is the board has to have some level of background. And so we're constantly bringing people into the boardroom from various uh, expertises to speak about you know, what's the current condition of the capital markets? What's the current condition of the regulatory markets? We've encouraged uh, board participation with the regulators to understand what's going on in the regulatory realm. Uh, we've had experts from uh, proxy solicitors and attorneys and uh, you name it, um, but it's an ever, ever present sort of revolving door of individuals who are speaking about various aspects of what's going on, not only in this industry, but also in other industries. The other thing that we started doing and uh, we're gonna be stepping up this year is we're going to be bringing more and more folks from the company into the boardroom from levels, you know, a few levels down from the executives so that the board can actually engage with them about what it is that they're doing, how they're seeing the world, what are their challenges, and you know, what do they think about their particular aspect of the bank? So the board gets a view of what's really going on in here. Now, front lines. I've also, you know, I'm also a huge proponent of making certain that there are clear lines between the board and management. And I know that gets fuzzy in some institutions, uh, but I started this very, very early on and I made it very, very clear to the board members, they are not management. And so while, that's crystal clear to our board members. I do think there's a place for them to truly understand, not instruct or manage, but to understand what's, you know, what, what, what goes into the sausage making? How does it work? And what are the challenges we face? And you know, who are some of these up and coming rising stars in the company? And you know, what do they bring to the company? And why are we making the decisions that we're making? Um, so I think it's a combination of a lot of those things. 
Yes, we've had board members attend some conferences, and that's been, you know, somewhat successful. I wouldn't say that's the, you know, the best of all the uh, uh, choices. But I really do think the more one-on-one in the boardroom instruction for us has worked out the best. So the last topic I kind of want to touch on is um, the M&A environment. What What are you seeing out there, you know, in terms of activity level of quality opportunities as an acquirer, as an MOE partner? And I guess, where does Connect One end up four or five years now, four or five years from now, if you could predict where you'd want to be, where's the bank then? Well, let me start with that answer first, and then we'll go back into the M&A strategy. I, I have said from the day we had my first organizational meeting, you know, with a group of individuals to say, hey, let's go start, let's go do something crazy and start a bank. We would run this business, support this business, give capital to this business, um, and continue to keep it as an independent organization to the extent that we can generate beyond our cost of capital and put up a return that we all think makes sense relative to our shareholders. And if there was someone at any point in our existence that was willing to pay us in advance for that, you know, that stream of capital, then we wouldn't be independent anymore. And we would be, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I'm here to, that doesn't mean I got to make money every single day the same way or whatever. But on the, you know, on the longer term horizon, I'm not going to sell, we don't really want to sell the bank just, just because it's time or somebody's at a particular age or the board or, you know, whatever. We want to do it because somebody else can make more out of what we have than we can, to put it in the most simple term. And I use that as an incentive you know, for our board and for management and for everybody here. And by the way, I have this conversation with anybody in the company. It doesn't matter who they are. Um, I never promise anyone we're never going to sell. But what I do say is that if we're successful in being successful and we can generate that higher than cost of capital return and we can be profitable and we can invest in the future and we can provide opportunity for folks, then we're going to stay independent. And so, you know, if we all get fat and sloppy and, you know, don't care. And, oh, it's just a cut, you know, this would be a great business. It wasn't for all those pesky customers and it's time to go. And I don't ever want to be in that position. And so it keeps us hungry. It keeps us wanting for more. It keeps us in an innovative environment. So the answer is we've been for sales since the day we started the company. Nobody's willing to pay us what we think we're worth. And, and, that, and that's a good thing. And that's by design, right? That's, that's what it is we're, we're looking to do. That's how we keep our independence. We hire great people, we do great things, and, and, and we build a great company. On the other side of that, I think there's lots of companies out there that, you know, I, I, you could look at a number of, of, of fact patterns. It could be the age of the CEO. It could be the age of the board. It could be the market that they're in. It could be the products that they serve. It could be the lack of investment in in the future of you know where the industry is going, and you will see companies that it's pretty clear have to do something. And if you look at a lot of the transactions that take place, you know they're generally companies that hit that wall. Now they didn't think about it maybe in the same way I just described it, um, but they did in fact hit the wall and made the decision to sell. And so we've done three of those. And um, I think there'll be more to do. Nice. Well, it's a good place to be. And, and I do, I like the philosophy, Frank, of, you know, 
you're, you've, you've been for sale from day one, but you're continuing to earn your independence. And that's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's for us to lose it. Right. Exactly. Well, and I think that attitude, you know, always keeps you hungry, like you said, in playing offense versus a lot of banks are out there playing defense. Yeah, that doesn't work too well in this business. No, I don't, not especially not these days, right? So no question about that. This has been an awesome conversation. Everything that I would have expected and more from you, Frank, given your view on the industry, your personality, and the, the on what you've done with this bank and hats off to you. So I thank you sincerely for being part of this conversation. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Alan. You know, I always enjoy the same. Well, maybe we'll do it again. Maybe we'll have you to our boardroom. Yeah, I would love to uh, come in and talk with your board about what we're seeing in the talent market and um, a lot of those uh, succession and governance dynamics for sure. So um, we'll talk about it. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Talent Pool podcast with my special guest, Frank Sorrentino, chairman and CEO of Connect One Bank. I'm your host, Alan Kaplan from Kaplan Partners. If you'd like to hear more from Frank or our other guests or learn more about our firm, please visit kaplanpartners.com. Thanks for listening.